Today's reading is from Romans 7 through 8. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're beginning a new series, five-week series this morning called How to Change. And uh, I'm going to be sued for false advertising here because I'm not going to tell you how to, how to change this morning. Uh, I realize we're going we're gonna to try in subsequent weeks to maybe make an attempt uh, to talk about that subject. But I realized this week that I am spectacularly unqualified to talk about this subject and to, to lead this series. I have been seriously trying to change for 20 years since I was in uh, middle school, high school. You know, I was very mature for my age and, and was very serious about self-improvement, about spiritual growth, about getting closer to God. And uh, there is this <laughs> sickening, uh, nauseating experience I've had of going back and looking at journals from 20 years ago and uh, seeing a list of changes I want to make that look eerily similar to something I wrote like a week ago. Um, so I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy you need for this series. But I, I do think that I can uh, give you something else besides the knowledge of how to change uh, based on actually an experience, based on my experience in life up to this point, but also based specifically on an experience that I had this week. Uh, so that's where we're going this morning. This morning is kind of more uh, testimony than sermon. That's where we're going to end up. Uh, but first, I want to I talk about this passage. I, I had an experience this week that led me to, to talk about this passage in particular, and I'll, I'll tell you again about the experience at the end. But the passage itself is, uh, is remarkable. You heard it read. Paul says, I don't do what I want to do, and the, the things I do want to do, I, I don't do. You know, so there's these bad things that I, I don't want to do that I do do, and then there's these good things that I want to do that I don't do. 
And what Paul says is, that's weird. That's weird. You know, Chip was talking about this last week with uh, New Year's resolutions. And the, the thing about New Year's resolutions is, why do we need them? You know, why do we need a series called How to Change? Why, why do we need to change? We do, but why do we need to change? And, and if we see something that would be better, if we see a path that would be better, you know, so whatever your New Year's resolution is, I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And I, I want to do those things because it would make my life better if I did. Well, if you can see that, if you can see that it would make your life better if you did those things, then why aren't you just doing them? Why do you have to resolve to do them? Why do you have to promise yourself that you'll do them? Why do you have to, result to uh, resort to all these tricks to try to make yourself do them? Why, why wouldn't you just do them? Instead, we've all had this experience that he's talking about of doing the things we don't want to do and not doing the things we do want to do. And what he says is, he says, look, this is just logic. If I do what I don't want to do, then there's another me inside of me. There's another I inside of I. Otherwise, how do you explain that? There's some other force. There's some other power. And this is what Chip talked about last week. You know, he talked about how, yes, it's, it's hard to believe on one level, this idea of supernatural evil, this idea of the devil, this idea of sin as a supernatural force that takes over your body and your mind and makes you do things you don't want to do. On one level, it's hard to believe because it sounds like a fantasy novel. On another level, it's not hard to believe at all because you see it and experience it every day. And whatever you believe, you've got to have some theory for, for why this happens. Because whatever you believe, whether you're religious or not, everybody knows about this experience of human beings doing what they don't want to do. So everybody's got to have a theory for that. So the latest one that you'll hear now, psychologists talk about this and you know, self-help types that are into neurology. The latest way people talk about this is they'll say what it is is, is it's like uh, your lizard brain is the way they talk about it. This less evolved part of your brain uh, that, it, you know, that's where fear resides. That's where these temptations reside. And you got to keep that uh, less evolved part of your brain from taking over because it wants to take over your kind of more enlightened self. Well, maybe that's true, maybe it isn't. You know, it's, it's cute, whatever. Uh, the, the point is you don't need a theory like that. You don't need some, some scientific theory that may or not, may not be true because that latest theory is just a new way of talking about a very old problem. What is this force within us that makes us do things we don't want to do? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, you, you feel overtaken by something that, that's foreign to you. And Paul says, yeah, that's real. That really happens. Sin is real and it really takes over. The reason people don't like this idea is because they feel like it's an abdication of responsibility. You know, it's like, so the devil made me do it, you know, so therefore I'm not to blame. But that's actually not how it works. You know, there's, there's two ways, the two poles that we kind of typically go to. On the one hand, you say, well, the devil made me do it, so I'm not to blame. That's not right. On the other hand, the, you know, the logical alternative seems to be, okay, I did it of my own free will, and therefore I am to blame. But that's not right either. You didn't do it of your own free will. The truth is what, what Scripture says, and at first it's paradoxical. At first it seems contradictory. But the truth is it's, it's neither of those. It's a third option, which is the devil made me do it, and I'm still to blame. Well, why? Why are you still to blame if the devil made you do it? Because you let him in. You gave him the opportunity to whisper in your ear. That's what you see with Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
you know, we always talk about she, God confronts her, and he says, what happened? And she says, basically, the devil made me do it. He, he tempted me. He, he made me do it. And we're always quick to say, look at Eve blaming. You know, she shouldn't be blaming the devil. But, I mean, we're being a little too hard on her because it wouldn't have happened except for the devil. There's no way she eats that fruit unless the serpent is whispering in her ear. In tort law, you've got this concept of the, the but-for cause. If something wouldn't have happened but-for this other cause, then that goes a long way toward proving liability. And, and the serpent is certainly a but-for cause here. She would not have eaten the fruit but-for the serpent. And yet she's still to blame. Eve is still responsible. Why? Because she showed up for the conversation. She opened her eyes, she opened her ears, and she let him take over. Uh, growing up, we had uh, Southern California, we had season passes to Disneyland. They were $99 a year back then. Um, yeah, it's like way more than that for one day now. And so we had season passes, and my favorite ride was, uh, as a kid, was the Indiana Jones ride. And uh, the thing that was great about the ride was they had all this stuff in the line. You know, it's an hour-long line. And so they've got all this entertainment, and, uh, you know, the story of the ride begins in the line. And so the, the setup, the narrative of this ride is they say, okay, in, in the middle of the ride, you know, you're going to see this, this snake, this serpent. Don't lock eyes with the, the serpent because if you do, you will surely die. I wonder where they got this idea. Um, and so the way the ride goes is, you know, you're, you're on the ride and the serpent comes and the eyes open and then it's like, oh no, you looked and you go on this path toward death. You know, everything goes, goes wrong at that point. Now, I, I've researched this. There's actually not two tracks. It's not like there's a whole other ride <laughs> where, you know, you didn't look and so you get to go the good way. They, they only have the, the track where you locked eyes. But what's funny about that is out of the millions of times that that ride has been run, I bet there's never been a car where that wasn't true. I bet there's never been a car where one person didn't lock eyes with snakes. So even though it's rigged, it's still right. It, even though the people in the car theoretically have free will, every time somebody has looked. And then once you look, it takes you on this death ride, you know, where everything goes wrong. And at that point, you're not accelerating. You're not steering. You're being taken for a ride where you have no control, but you're still responsible because you looked, because you opened your eyes. And that's how it is with sin. And the devil is, he, he takes you where you don't want to go. The, thing, the worst things you've done in your life, I'll tell you, you did not do them. You did not do them. Sin within you did those things, but you gave sin a foothold. You opened up the door, and so you're still responsible because you let it take over. You let it beat you. You opened yourself up to it, and then it, it took you this place you didn't want to go. So what I want to do uh, with the rest of our time this morning is talk about my own experience with this. With uh, You know, the reason I, I uh, decided to talk about this passage this week is because I heard while talking about this, I, I do what I don't want to do, and I can't do what I do want to do, and it was just so where I'm at right now, especially, you know, he says, the wretched man that I am, wretched man that I am, that's how I've been feeling 
lately. And so I want to I want to show you. I want to talk about what it looks like uh, for sin to win in somebody's life, for sin to dominate, to be taken somewhere you don't want to go, and to do things against your will. Now, for those of you that are like getting really nervous, I'm not gonna like confess anything that's gonna get me fired. You know, this is not like a. Um, and that's kind of the point, actually, is that when sin wins in my life, uh, because of the way I was brought up and because of where I'm at as a Christian, it doesn't look immoral. You know, it's like it's not technically wrong, but it is wrong. It is wrong. I'm still being beaten. I'm still living a life I don't want to live and not living the life I do want to live. And so part of the point this morning is to just talk about uh, that, that sin that in that first opening move is never immoral. You know, the way it gets a foothold is never, it's never wrong. It's not technically wrong for, for Eve to stand there and talk to the serpent. But at some point, you make a choice to do something that's not really wrong, and then all of a sudden, you lose control, and, and you're, you're going somewhere you don't want to go. So as, as I talk about this, uh, the, what I would caution you on and what I would ask you to do is don't get too hung up on the particulars of my life because it's not about me. You know, my issues are not your issues. So I'm going to talk about what I struggle with. And some of you are going to feel like, oh, my goodness, it's so easy. All he needs to do is X, Y, Z, you know, one, two, three, and he could fix his whole life. Well, a couple of things about that impulse on your part. Um, <laughs> a, you're, you're probably right. Like, whatever your program is for me to fix me, it's probably right that it would work if I could follow it. And that's the second thing, is I, I probably, everything you have to say to me, I probably already know. And what Paul says earlier in this same passage about I do what I don't want to do, he says, it doesn't matter how good the rule book is. It doesn't matter how good the program is and the template is, because the whole point of sin is that it's getting you to work against your own best self-interest. So he says even God's law, even, I mean, who's the, who's the best author of a of self improvement program of all time, God. He gives the ultimate rule book about how to live. And Paul says sin is so good at what it does is that sin was even able to take God's law and use that in my life as a way to, to mess me up. Why? Because sin makes you do the opposite of what you're supposed to do. So in some ways, the better the rule book is, if sin is running your life, the better the rule book is, the worse off you'll be because you do the opposite of whatever the rule book is. That's what Paul says. He says, I didn't even know what it was to covet until I read the rule about not coveting, and then all of a sudden I find myself coveting. So uh, that's the second thing. You know, it's not about the rule book. And then the third thing is just you got to think about what is it in your life. You know, because you, you could tell me your struggles, and I could say, oh, it's easy. You just got to do X, Y, and Z. But it, it's not easy. And so what I'm asking you to think about is where in your life are you out of control? Where in your life are you out of control? Whether it looks moral or immoral, where in your life are you doing things that you're not really wanting to do and not doing the things that you would like to do? And it's going to look different for, for everybody. Some of you, uh, you know, if, if you're getting dominated by sin, if you're losing at the game of life, everybody's going to know it. You know, it's going to be very obvious. Others of you are very good at hiding it. You know, you know how to to present something that looks really good and, and put all the bad stuff uh, in a corner. Brittany and I, when uh, people come over to our house for some event or some meeting or something, we have this 
routine we do every time where, you know, an hour before we, we take everything that's all over the house and stuff it into the back bedroom, you know, and close the door. And so people come over and it looks, the house looks great. And how do you manage to keep such a clean house with four little kids? Well, you see the back bedroom, you know, and a lot of people are like that, where you've got this back bedroom that you stuff all the stuff and you don't let people see. And then others of you are just really good at, at denying it, even to yourself, you know. Uh, I think about Kate, our four-year-old. When, so Anna, our, our uh, six-year-old, when sin is, is dominating her, everybody knows it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a story about that later. Uh, but Kate is she's so cool, cool as ice, you know, calm, collected. So if, if Anna is stomping around and yelling, Kate, when, when sin is winning in her life, it looks like, you know, she's poking in her sisters in this really subtle way to try to get them to explode, you know. So uh, she'll say to Anna, her sisters, because she knows she hates this, like, oh, hey, hey baby, hey, little, little baby. Um, and she knows Anna doesn't like it when she calls her that. And so I'll say, Kate, yeah, you know, use kind words. Don't, don't talk to your sister like that. She says, okay, okay. And so then a minute later, she'll, she'll say something like, Anna, that's a really nice dress you got on today for a baby. <laughs> and then when I confront her about things, you can see she, she can deny it even to herself. So I'll ask her something, you know, she did something wrong, and I'll say, Kate, was that, did you do that on purpose or on accident? And she'll be like, ah, what's on purpose mean again? <laughs> I'll tell her, and she's like, what's on accident mean again? I'll tell her. And she's like, well, I think I, I can't really remember. And then she, does, she has this whole routine. She does this thing where she says, oh, my brain, my, my brain. I just, I just can't think. And then she says, I, what are we talking about again? I... <laughs> She's slippery. She's slippery. And some of you are slippery. You know, some of you, you're sitting here, what, what are we talking about again? Wait, what? Uh, I don't get it. And I'm asking you not to do that. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself about your own issues, even though they're not my issues. So for me, what are my issues? I've been losing at life for the past three or four months pretty consistently. And here's what it looks like for me. For me, uh, my Achilles heel is uh, mood and energy. You know, when, when I'm on, I'm on and I'm good. But I'm off as much as I'm on. And I'm, I'm very prone to just getting down and depressed and uh, being really tired and being grouchy. You know, and it, it's, it's ugly. It doesn't look good. You know, I can't be the person I want to be. I can't be the husband and dad I want to be. I can't be the pastor I want to be when I'm in that state. So I know, for me, that I have to stay high energy. I have to stay in a good mood. It's my responsibility to do that. And I also know what it takes to do that. You know, so there's different types of energy. There's three main ones. There's physical energy, mental energy, and spiritual energy. So I know, for me, you know, we've talked about the physical side a lot during that negative uh, emotion series. I know, for me, if I'm gonna stay in my best state, I have to eat right, and sleep right and exercise every day. I know that. In terms of mental energy, uh, that's for a lot of people, and for me included, the, the, the main element of mental energy is focus. And so I know if I'm gonna perform my best, I have to show up to the office and work on whatever writing projects I've got that day. 
uh, for the first three hours, you know, offline. I can't go online, can't check email. Otherwise, it, t it takes me into a bad place. And the third thing is spiritual energy, which, you know, different people have different definitions of this. But for me as a Christian, spiritual energy comes from prayer and scripture, from reading the Bible and praying. And I know that those things will feed me and give me the energy I need. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I know those things. And uh, for, for three or four months now, most days, I don't do any of those things. Most days I wake up and I do the opposite of all of those things, even though I know that those are the things that I need to perform at my best and to be happy and to thrive. You know, so I get into the office and I know, I know I shouldn't check email and go online, but I do. I do. I, I think, oh, I shouldn't do this. And I do it anyway. And, you know, I get to the end of the day and I know I should go to the gym before I go home. And I even think I would feel better. I would fe I feel bad. I would feel better if I went to the gym. And I say, no, I'm not going to go. Even though I have that conscious thought, that conscious thought, I do what I don't want to do, and the good I, I do want to do, I don't do. Wretched man that I am. And the same thing with prayer and scripture. It's been inconsistent. It's been spotty. Last year at this time, I gave this great sermon, really was a great sermon, on... Um, <laughs> on having a daily meeting with God, you know, having 45 minutes a day where you pray and read the Bible. And I was doing that every day at the point that I gave that sermon. And here we are a year later, and I'm not. And there's, there's no explanation for it, and I'm hurting myself. You know, I, I think, man, if I, if I read the Bible, my day would go better, and then I don't do it. It's just so irrational. But that's what it looks like when sin dominates. That's what it looks like when you're losing. And then it, it just spirals out of control. And, you know, I come home and I'm in a bad mood because I had a bad day. And I'm, you know, don't do the things with my kids that I want to do. And it, it's me hurting myself, this power that I'm giving access to my life. I told you a second ago that I'd tell you a story about Anna. The way this looked for her uh, this week was, so I was uh, reading a story to Kate. Uh, this was in the evening before bed. I was reading a story to Kate, and Anna was next up for the story. She was going to, I was going to read a story to her next. And this is something normally she would like and look forward to. But she was reading on her own uh, for homework and just had finished her reading. And Brittany says, Anna, uh, before you read with Dad, fill out your reading log, you know, for her homework for school. She's got to say what she read. And she just loses it. She flips out. She says, you're, you're so hard on me, Mom, which I don't even know where she got that phrase. You're so hard on me, Mom. Why are you making me do this right now? And it just escalates and escalates. And then she says, I'm not, I'm not going to read with Dad anymore. I'm not going to read with Dad anymore. And so I came to her, and I said, Anna, are you sure you don't want to read with me? Just fill out your reading log, and, and we'll still read. And she does this thing when she gets into this state where uh, whatever sentence she says, she accelerates the pacing and yells the end of it just as a, you know, punctuation mark. So she said, no, I'm not. I said I wasn't going to read with you, and I always keep my word. <laughs> so I said, okay, and so she, she says, I just want to be alone. 
And so she goes into her, she goes into the bathroom, slams the door, and then what she starts doing, she starts talking it out, you know, but she's yelling so everybody in the whole house can hear her. And she first starts with the whole mom's so hard on me theme, and she's talking about that for a while. She's so hard on me and, and all that. And then at the end, it ends with she yells, and I hate everyone in my family, even myself. And I was thinking about it. That's, that's what sin's trying to do. That's what sin is trying to do to all of us, to get us to hate everyone in our family, even and especially ourselves. That's how I feel when I don't do any of the things I know I'm supposed to do, is I hate everyone in my family, even and especially myself. That's where sin is trying to take us, and that's why Paul says, wretched man that I am. So, Again, you know, we're going to head toward a close now, but let me just remind you, I'm not going to tell you how to change. Uh, but I do want to end on a, a slightly more up note than we've, we've been on thus far. And this gets back to what I alluded to at the beginning, this experience that I had this week. So uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was actually working on a sermon on Scripture, on the importance of Scripture. And I was just feeling so sick about it because it was hypocritical. You know, I hadn't been reading scripture myself, so how am I going to tell you to read it? And like I said at the beginning, even the whole How to Change series in general, I was just dreading more and more every day. Like, this, I don't know how to do this myself, so what, what am I even talking about? And Monday was a bad day, lost on Monday. Tuesday was a bad day, lost on Tuesday. Wednesday was a bad day the first half of the day. And uh, Wednesday, middle of the day, I laid down on the floor of my office, which is something I do sometimes, don't judge me, um, especially when I'm having a bad day. And for some reason, maybe because the night before, every time I woke up in the night, I found myself praying, you know, God help me, God help me tomorrow. You know, the first two days of the week had been so bad. Maybe because of that, I don't know, I don't have any other explanation for it. I decided to, to listen to scripture as I was laying there on the floor. Instead of listening to a podcast, uh, which is what I would have been doing, uh, I did what I hadn't done in, in a few days and what I've been doing very sporadically lately, which is listen to scripture. And uh, the, the passage where it, I had left off the last time, just by happenstance, had, you know, didn't pick this passage. The passage where I had left off the last time was this passage, Romans 7. And, you know, I wasn't planning to pre preach on this, but it, it comes to this part where Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I can't do what I do want to do. Wretched man that I am. And so right there, I'm hooked. You know, I'm, I'm listening now. Uh, like I haven't listened to scripture in a while. And then it continues on. And it continues on to say the things that you heard during the scripture reading. What he says is there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he comes to this part in verse 14 where he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the uh, Aramaic word for, for daddy, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And when I heard those words, when I heard those words literally whispered into my ears, I had an experience I've only had uh, two or three other times in my life, 
Every time it's happened uh, while listening to Scripture aloud, either another person reading it or in a song, it's, it's always been the same. And it's, again, it's not like this happens all the time. It's happened two or three other times ever where when that line was read, it had this intense physiological response where I felt like my, my chest was exploding. But it's uh, in a good way. You know, it's euphoric. Uh, this heat, this very palpable heat radiating out from the center of my body, this wave of warmth, you know, to the, my hands and my feet, and then spontaneous weeping, you know, just broke out weeping. When I heard that line read, and, you know, I'm not this type of person, you know, like I'm a, I'm a logical, cynical person. What is that? What is, what is happening there? Well, what was different about this time versus the other two or three times that this has happened in my life is that the passage that it happened with, you know, it's always a different passage. The passage it happened with happened to be a passage that actually explained the phenomena in the very next verse. So it happens, and then, and then the next verse, I keep listening, and explains what happens. So it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the next line is, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's what was happening. That's what was happening in that moment, is that the spirit himself, the spirit of God, was bearing witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. It was, it was enforcing that, and that's what the spirit does. It takes the words of scripture and lights them on fire and makes you know that they're true. I've heard that passage so many times, and half of the times I've heard that passage, I've rolled my eyes and thought, what does that even mean? But this time I heard it, and my chest explodes because the spirit was bearing witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. So what does this have to do with, with how to change? Well, there's, there's two thoughts here, and one of them is more related to the series, but I, I don't have uh, really the credibility to present that one. So the, the thought that's related to the series, which is this is what Paul would say, and I think this is true, is that uh, that experience of being a child of God, of feeling God's love no matter what, of there being no condemnation, he would say that that experience is the key to change. Actually, you know, paradoxically, that once you experience that love, that frees you up to change and to beat sin and to win in this battle and gives you the power for the very first time. I think that's true. Unfortunately, you know, I just had this experience on Wednesday. I can't tell that story. You know, this would be a very nice, tidy sermon if I could say. And then I had that experience. And then all those things that I wanted to do, I started doing them. And, you know, I started winning at life again. I can't tell you that. I can't give you that. What I can give you is something that's maybe even better and maybe even more important, which is something I did experience this week, something I, I did get this week. And that's the knowledge and the assurance that you know, the, the only thing that might be better than figuring out how to be a winner is finding out that you are a child of God, that you're a son of God, that you're a daughter of God, even when you're losing even when you're losing, even when you've been losing for the last three or four months. Because the Spirit bore witness with my spirit that I was a child of God, even when I've been doing everything wrong, even when I've been messing everything up, even when I've been doing and letting sin come and dominate me. And even then, even then because of Jesus, even then 
because Paul says there's no condemnation because of the cross and the resurrection, even then I'm still a son of God and can still experience God's love in that moment. And so that's what I know. I, I don't know, honestly, if that's going to change me and make me do the things I'm supposed to do. But I do know that if you have been losing, if you have been doing what you don't want to do and not doing the things you do want to do for a long time, what Paul says is you're not outside of God's love. You're not outside of God's family. He can love you. He can adopt you. He can comfort you even then. Let's pray. God, we, we do want to change, and we know that you want us to change. So we don't want to ignore that. You know, I, I know you don't want us to be dominated by sin. I know you want us to win in this battle. But I also ask that you would, by your spirit, because that's the only way it can happen, that, that by your spirit you would confirm in our spirits. You would speak into our spirits that we are your sons and we are your daughters even when we lose. That even when we lose, even when we let ourselves be dominated and do the wrong things, there's still nothing that can separate us from your love. I pray that you would speak that to us now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.